Are you a man looking for an intensive program to help you overcome sexually addictive behaviors? Gateway to Freedom is your answer. Gateway to Freedom is a three-day workshop for men seeking to overcome any destructive sexual habits. Whether married, single, or divorced, Gateway to Freedom will help men regain hope for a new life of purity and real contentment. The workshop is conducted by experts in the field of sexual addiction recovery with decades of combined experience. Read testimonials of workshop alumni at gatewaymen.com. Get all the info and register online at gatewaymen.com or call 1-800-49-PURITY. Hi, my name is Jonathan, and I'm the founder of the Gateway to Freedom Workshop. I want to personally invite you to be part of our next workshop coming up July 22nd through the 24th in Colorado. So call us today at 1-800-49-PURITY or visit gatewaymen.com. Welcome to Pure Sex Radio, training men, educating women. Are you ready to get real and start living each day in purity? This dynamic program is designed to educate, encourage, and equip listeners with the tools necessary for living a life of sexual purity. Pure Sex Radio brings you the best in mobile talk radio. Listen to real-life struggles, learn how to overcome lust, pornography, and sex addiction, and get serious about purity. Good day, radio listeners. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. We're so glad to have you here with us. My name is Jonathan, and we're excited to have a special guest with us this week, Jessica Harris. Jessica, thanks for being on the program. Oh, it's my pleasure, Jonathan. Yeah, so uh, before we uh, dive in, I just want to let our listeners know, like we do periodically, that we are a listener-supported broadcast. So this means that the only way that we're able to get this show on the air is for listeners like you to come alongside and partner with us. So if you'd like to learn about the ways that you can partner with us, simply go to puresexradio.com and click on the donate button. And we finally caught up with the 21st century and we have a, we have a Twitter page. So please, I mean, it's just launched, go and follow us. It's simply at puresexradio and hopefully we can start getting a lot of good discussions and followers on that. So Jessica, I was uh, privileged to be at the Set Free Summit where you were invited to speak, and I thought you gave one of the best presentations at the whole Set Free Summit. And for those listeners who don't know what the Set Free Summit was, uh, it was a gathering of almost 900 uh, leaders from all around the world that are wanting to deal with this issue of pornography in the church and how can we come together and unite in being able to overcome this issue. and. Jessica gave a talk on really dealing with kind of the, the female side of things and the reality that this is not just a man's issue. And so uh, it was a pleasure for me to be able to hear you, Jessica, and I'm really excited to be able to have you on the program. So why don't you share with our listeners just some of your story, maybe some of your background and kind of how you got to this point in your life? Certainly. It's a long story. Um, I was... Oh my goodness. I was exposed to pornography when I was 13 years old. And I had grown up in a Christian family. We were involved in the church. My 
my parents were divorced. My dad was abusive, and he had left um, when I was seven. He had left our family, just walked away. Mm. And so I kind of I grew up in the church, but hated hated the idea of God because God was a I had a heavenly father, and I didn't like my earthly father, so there was no way I was going to handle mm. a heavenly one. So even though we were actively involved in the church, I wasn't really. I just knew how to do Christianity. I had it, it was not a, a relationship at all, and so I was in this place of really just trying to search for, just searching for acceptance and affirmation and identity. And um, I was molested as a child as well by a Christian school classmate, actually. Um, so when I found pornography when I was thirteen, it seemed to make sense. And say, oh, this is what this is what I've been missing. This is what men want, and this is the key. This is this is what I'm supposed to be and this is who I am. So I was exposed to hardcore pornography actually um, and I was researching for a school project. I was just online just on a science video website. This is 1999 mm-hmm. <laughs> um, on dial-up and I found a in the middle of benign videos that were nothing sexual at all. I wasn't looking for sex. Um, I was just looking for something for the science project mm-hmm. um, was a was a hardcore porn video. And I clicked on it and the video played. Um, and when I clicked to exit the video, it took me right to the website that the video was from. Mm. Um, and then it was just instant. And there were obviously there's ads everywhere. There's videos that would start playing and then they would play like a 15 second clip. And then the next one would show up and buffer. And so it was just I just got thrown into this world of hardcore pornography and on the side of the screen was a chat room. Um, and so the, the videos in themselves at first were a little repulsive for someone who had never even been exposed really to the idea of sex. Mm-hmm. Um, but the chat rooms, the chat rooms to me were really fun. It was an opportunity to escape my life and to pretend to be somebody else. Mm-hmm. I went into the chat rooms and started to talk to people and it became very apparent to me pretty quickly that this was not where you go and chat with your friends. Like these are people who were looking for things. They were asking me to do things. They were wanting private chats. So I entered into the world of um, cyber sex, which is equivalent to sexting now, but back then it was called cyber sex and would go into private chat rooms and just do an entire role play with Mm -hmm. complete strangers online. And there was a sense of acceptance because if they didn't like the fact that I was a five foot six brunette with freckles, I could leave the chat room, change my username, go back in and be the blonde haired six foot, whatever they needed, whatever they wanted. I could pretend to be her. Um, right. They started asking me to do things and I would, I wouldn't know what they were asking me to do. So I would go back to pornography to research that in a way. And this became like a daily habit for me. And then eventually I said, why am I going to the chat rooms even? Why am I dealing with people? I can feel this kind of pleasure without even interacting with people. And I can get this from the porn just by itself. So I quickly transitioned into leaving the chat rooms and just going straight to the pornography and just watching pornography for hours a day. I would get home from school. My mom would be at work. Um, My siblings no longer lived with us. And so I was home alone and I would just go into my mom's room and I would watch porn until she got home. She always worked late, so I was watching porn all afternoon, all evening. Now, when and you then I would go into my room, 
Yeah. Now, when you when you were first exposed into the pornography in the chat rooms, and then, like you said, really starting to dive into the pornography, that first exposure, did you have any point of reference for being able to, you know, comprehend that? Or, I mean, like, what was your initial reaction to that? I had really no idea what I was seeing. It was mm-hmm. a very, I mean, I could still remember that video to this day, but it was a very graphic video that involved a lot of people. We'll just say that. And so there was a lot going on in the video and it was, I had an idea of what sex kind of was because I knew I wasn't supposed to have it. And (laughs) and I was going to a public school at that time and my classmates were just starting to experiment with it. We were in junior high. So they were just starting to experiment and talk about it and talk about what they were doing with their, their boyfriends or whatever. And so I was starting to kind of, hear what they were doing, but I still didn't understand what they were doing. So there was no reference point. Really, pornography became my reference Mm -hmm. point for, oh, this is what they're doing. This is what it looks like. So it'd probably be be safe to say then that there was a a, a good amount of confusion in your life at that point regarding what you were seeing and even sex itself, understanding that topic. Oh, absolutely. So so, so So then the pornography started to kind of become your your education, right? In terms of sexuality and and yes. even maybe, yes. if I could put it this way, femininity? Oh, definitely. Um, when I was maybe about a year or so into watching pornography often, my mother finally caught me. Um, she was typing in a web address and the, the URL dropped down and there mm. was a porn website right there and she realized that I had been on porn sites and she, she got so upset. <clears throat> and she said, I, you know, what have I done wrong? What, what's wrong with you? <laughs> um, I never had, she's like, I didn't even have these desires until after I was married. Like, I don't understand what to do with you. And then she decided to try to have the, the talk with me. She had never had, we had never had that discussion. And so mm-hmm. when she sat down to try to talk to me about sex, I looked at her and I said, you can't tell me anything I don't already know. My friends at school, I told her my friends at school had told me everything, but really I had just been watching it for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I resisted. I wouldn't let her talk to me about sex at all. The pornography was my only source for education in that. And then um, in regards to how I was supposed to act as a woman, like I felt like I should be like those women that are in pornography. And that's how my friends at school even were acting and they were always so put together and they were always kind of flirty but I wasn't allowed to because of my religion you know because of Mm -hmm. my mom because of my church because (laughs) so there was this almost this conflict that I'm trying to make everybody happy over here by following all the rules like women can't wear this and women can't do that and you shouldn't be provocative and you shouldn't do this and but the whole time thinking but I'm supposed to be like this. Like if I ever want people to like me, I have to be like this. So there Mm -hmm. was this conflict almost in my heart and it really made it even harder to do the whole Christian thing. Sure. It it became something I almost had to own proudly, like even though it was fake and I had no relationship with God at the time, it was very much a, oh yeah, well, I'm going to wear these clothes because Jesus told me I'm supposed to. Right, <laughs> so right. it was it was something that I had to like almost defiantly do in the face <laughs> of. But I always wanted to be 
like those girls in my class, like the cheerleaders, you know, I hear the guys talk about them and talk about their bodies and talk about how perfect they were. And I'm like, I want guys to talk about me like that. I want men to look at me like that. I want them to treat me like that. I just, I thought that's how it was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Well, and so then you've got this obviously skewed education towards sexuality and femininity. You're also mixing into that this this truth about what God has said about sexuality, but yet it's being filtered through this confused mind of this young girl whose who her head is being saturated with pornography and all these um, desires that at their core are very natural and good. It's good to want to be desired. It's good to want to feel feminine. It's good to want to be a female, you know, and yet how are you how are you balancing all of these various things that are trying to speak uh, truth into your life or, you know, speak these messages into your life? Because it seems to me like there's a, that's a pretty heavy load for a young girl to be carrying. Right. And I think that there's, there's a difference in how it looked before I came to know Christ and there's a difference in how I looked after. And so before I came to know Christ, and I, I absolutely hated the idea of God and I hated the idea of the church, it made sense to me that this evil, wicked, heavenly father would have all these stupid rules about mm. what I could and couldn't do. So the whole entire time that I was dealing with that in high school, there was this idea of, as soon as I am old enough to get out of this, I'm gone. <laughs> and I am going to be whatever I want to be. And I'm going to prove everybody wrong. I'm going to be just fine. Like At the same time, I'm working on... Um, getting a 4.0 and I'm going to be a doctor. Like I had all of these, I am going to have everything. I'm going to be the smartest woman, the richest woman, the sexiest woman. Like that is what I'm going to be as soon as I can get this whole God thing taken care of. Like as mm. soon as I can get out from under this. So for me, it was more of, that was more of like a bunch of masks. I, I call it. There were, there was the mask of the girl at church who memorized all the last verses because that's what you do at church and so I won all those competitions and I would go and sing at talent competitions and I would write really spiritual sounding poetry and yeah. <laughs> and I was doing all of that and then at school I'm being the 4.0 student and the teacher's pet and the everything that I want to be there and then online I'm being the sexy woman that I want to be and so it was just this matter of just playing all these different parts and I would kind of compartmentalize and I would turn one thing off and then the next one on and then I just it was, my life was almost very divided. It was split, kind it, of, and, um, oh, God. Isn't it interesting, as you're saying that, I'm thinking, isn't that exactly what porn teaches us? To, to be the facade, to be whatever anybody else wants. And especially, I think, the, so much of porn speaks to that, to a female. That, hey, listen, your only role, Jessica, is just to be what anybody else wants you to be. That's really the lie of pornography is it's just this right. consumeristic thing. And it sounds like you were starting to really ingest that in a way that you were living that way in every area of your life, even if it wasn't the, the sexual aspect. It was like you were becoming whatever anybody wanted you to be, kind of their muse in any of those environments. And that's very much, I think, what pornography ultimately teaches. Yeah. That's, a really, that's a really good point. I had actually had never... I guess I never viewed it that way. And at the same time that I was going through all of that, it's hard to balance all of that. It's hard. Mm -hmm. And this is going to draw another parallel to pornography. You've got the women in the industry who are used like that. You do this for this thing, this for this thing, and you just be what we want you to be. And they escape to drugs and alcohol in the industry. Mm -hmm. And then for me, 
it was so hard for me to cope with and to balance all of that. And it was hard for me to understand even who I was in the midst of what I'm trying to do for everybody else and what I'm trying to think I'm supposed to be that I actually created it and talk about it in my book. I created this whole fantasy world where I didn't even exist. And I just went and I I would escape to that all the time. Like that was the only place that I felt sane was when Mm. I wasn't even existing anymore. And I, if I wanted to escape, the church thing, the pornography thing, the school thing, all of that pressure and all of that craziness in my life, I would just escape to this world of people that I had created myself, and Mm -hmm. it was perfect there. And it was calm, and people could make mistakes, and, you know, everyone was friendly, and everyone was nice, and nobody was unaccepted, and, like, I just created this place that I would would run to, because I couldn't handle my my life at the time. So then what happened when you did, you know, escape the God thing, you know, like when you got out on your own, what, what happened next? So I actually came to know Christ right at the end of my senior year of high school, right after graduation. Mm -hmm. Um, I had worked so hard to get that 4.0 to, to be, you know, the most amazing person and to get that acceptance. Um, And that 4.0, for whatever reason, was like an idol in my life. It was so bizarre. But I thought, if I can get this, then I will make so many people happy and then I can move on with my life and do the whole doctor thing, and everyone will be proud of me and whatever. Um, and nobody cared. <laughs> nobody cared that I got a four point And I remember it was so devastating to me, and I thought I have spent four years of doing this, of doing this balancing act of trying to make all these people happy and trying to be number one in all of these areas, and I have like spent my soul on this and nobody cares. It mm. doesn't make a difference. Like nobody notices. And I had to step back and think, what on earth am I even doing here? Like yeah. what's the point of what's the point of all of this? Like what why am <laughs> why am I even here? And I had thought about my face and I my face <laughs> said loosely and I thought, I don't want anything to do with God. Like I don't want him at all. He's a mean father and this is a bunch of stupid rules and my life probably better if I didn't have him anyway and there was a lot of resistance there and a lot of I don't even want to question this because then that will be judged you know if I even try to tell people that I'm not a Christian I don't think I'm a Christian then I'll lose the church and I'll lose that aspect of my life and then Mm -hmm. all I'll have left is this online world that I don't even know how to function in so I resisted for a while and then certain things happened that just made me realize like I'm not I wasn't a Christian, and I did not know God, and I didn't, I, I knew all about him, but I didn't really know him, mm-hmm. and I um, I opened my Bible one night after um, one of the women in my church had actually come to know the Lord, and she had been a youth leader, and I remember being so mad at her and thinking, you're a youth leader, you've been lying this whole time, like all the judgment that I had been so afraid of, I was just pouring out on her, <laughs> and then the people weren't like that. People were saying, oh, Amy, we're so happy for you. Welcome to the family. And I'm thinking, family? Like, she lied to you guys. She she pretended. She she was fake. And I'm, all of these things that I believed about myself. And mm-hmm. and they were saying, like, oh, my goodness, we're so happy for you. And so I went home, and I just opened my Bible. And, I mean, I had, I had led people to the Lord. <laughs> so I opened my Bible, and I came upon Romans 5, 8, and it's, um, God demonstrates his love towards us and that while we were still sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Mm-hmm. And it just clicked with me all of a sudden, like, I don't have to be anything for him. Like, mm-hmm. I can be 
even while I was doing all of this stuff that was wrong, even while I was spitting in his face and telling him I wanted nothing to do with him, even then, mm. Christ died for me. Like, yeah. even with all of that. And it was just, I had never known a love like that. And it was all of a sudden like, that is love. That is acceptance. And that's what I've been looking for, is this, you don't have to be perfect, and you don't have to meet this standard, and you don't have to... You don't have to check off all these boxes. Like, I love you. And it was, that was such a surreal, like, it clicked, and I got it. And I called my youth pastor's wife, and I said, I haven't been a Christian. I'm not a Christian. I, I was faking it this entire time and, and came to know the Lord that day. And so I thought, okay, great. I know I've got Jesus, and now all of this craziness in my life is going to go away. Mm. <laughs> it didn't go away. Um, it actually seemed to get worse because then I was actually trying to fight it at that point. Then I'm trying to, trying to figure out who I am in Christ and really trying to strive for that identity, identity that I had been running from for years. And I, I've been building up all of these false ones and just trying to tear all of those down and to figure out who I was in Christ. And by that point, pornography had become an addiction in my life. It was something that I had to do every second that I had a, a computer, even at school when I was helping as a teacher's aide, I would look up erotica because it's a screen full of text and no one's going to ask any questions when a mm-hmm. 4.0 student is sitting in front of a screen of text. So it was a fight for me to try to, to, to get out of it. And I thought, God, I can't get out of this. You're going to have to help me. I can't do this. I had tried. I had printed off pictures and burnt them. I had saved them to floppy disks and destroyed them. Like I had done so much to try to say that I'm not doing this anymore. It's not going to take over my life. And then after I came to Christ, it's like, this can't take over my life. I've got to get my life together. I've got to get this fixed. And I don't know how. <laughs> and there aren't resources out there for women. There definitely weren't in 2003. And I just thought, God, you're going to have to help me. I'm going to have to get caught. Like, I just, I, I'm going to have to, I'm not telling anybody. This is not happening. I'm going to have to get caught. Like, you're going to have to let me get caught. Um and I did get caught uh, just a few weeks after I got saved. I was at a college. I'd gone off to college, a Christian college, and had continued to use pornography regularly. Um, and they caught me. And that's when they pulled me into the dean's office, and they showed me the report of my Internet use. And they had gone through and highlighted all of the websites that were definitely pornographic. And the woman was, the dean of women was talking about how horrible this was and how this is a really sick case because I was into really, really dark and twisted stuff. And she said, this is just, this person really needs help. These people really need help. And she said, that being said, we know this wasn't you. Women Mm. don't have this problem. Wow. And (laughs) I was, I remember thinking, well, that's a problem. (laughs) Like, that's, that's, well, I am a woman. I think I'm a woman. You know, maybe I'm not. I don't know. And I remember I went back to my room that day and I gave up. I said, God, thank you for trying, but apparently I can't be rescued. Apparently I was too far gone and I didn't come soon enough and I didn't get back to you soon enough that you can't save me. I'm, I'm twisted. There's something wrong with me. There's something fundamentally wrong with me. Um, and thanks for trying. But And at that point, it was like the only the only life I had left then was the pornography. Right. And I thought the only way I'm going to be able to feel sane (laughs) and not feel like I'm constantly torn between all these different worlds is if I just, if I can't be 
the Christian girl who struggles with porn, then I'm going to have no choice but to be the porn star who happened to be a Christian. Yeah. Like that's it, it was the only that was the only way I could think of making my life make sense at that point. Yeah. So we we have about five minutes left, and I wanted to know what started getting some traction to your recovery. Uh, like, wh- where did you start to have some breakthroughs where um, you did start getting some legitimate help, and you did start maybe seeing some progress of being able to break free? What What did it take? The following year, I left that first college because I was afraid of getting kicked out. The following year, I went to a Bible college, believe it or not, and there they had a meeting with the women and the dean of women got up to the front and she said we know that some of you in this room some of you women because it was a room full of women struggle with pornography and we're here to help you Mm. and they at the end of that um, session they gave us a chance to confess they challenged us to confess whatever our whatever the struggle was in our lives. It didn't have to be pornography, but whatever your struggle was in your life. And I didn't want to write it down. I didn't want to tell them. I wanted to tell them something Christian, like I don't read my Bible enough or something like that. But, <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> give them a Christian answer. Right. But yeah. um, I, it was like God said, Jessica, you've been asking for, you've been hoping for someone to start this conversation with you. You've been waiting to be able to have this with somebody and you just need to, you're, this is the only open door you're going to get like this. They have started the conversation for you. All you have to do is is let them know that you need help. And so I did. I wrote down that I struggled with pornography, and I gave it to some two of the women that were at the, the school, and they signed, got me involved in some mentoring and some counseling, and for a year and a half or so just really intensely worked with me and just helped me walk through not only changing the behavior necessarily of looking at pornography, but also helping to heal some of the underlying things that were making me want it so much mm-hmm. more and just helping me, helping me become whole without it so that I didn't want it so much. Yeah. And it was, it was a long process. Um, but it was, that was, that was my defining moment. Like I had to look back and say, when did I start? When did I understand freedom? And when did I understand that I could have freedom? That was that moment when they said, we know some of you struggle, and we're going to help you. I wrote it down, and I was terrified that they had lied to me. Mm-hmm. And they came up to me later, and they said, what you, wrote, what you wrote was brave, and we are going to help you. Mm-hmm. And that moment was, like, the moment. If I had to say that there was a moment where I got it, that I could be free, that was the moment. And it's been uphill from there. Yeah. So what would you say in the last couple minutes that we've got here, what would you say to our listeners, uh, both men and women, of, you know, how can, how can we help the daughters in our life? How can we help the moms? How can we help, you know, the sisters in our lives? Um, because one of the things that stuck with me from your talk that I think is so powerful and so important for everybody to hear is to use that word and when talking about pornography. Just say men and women. That it's just not, right. uh, but what would you say, uh, where would you want our listeners to move? What are some things that they can do, um, whether they're a woman who's struggling or they know a woman who's struggling? Right, so there are there are starting to be more resources now, which is absolutely fantastic. Obviously, you know, from being at the summit, I encourage people just to start the conversation. Sometimes that's all women need. If they're mm-hmm. just starting and you say, we know you're there, it's enough light 
in that darkness to kind of break them free and they don't keep going. They say, oh my goodness, I don't have to be ashamed of this. I can say, yes, that was me and I can walk away. Um, it's a lot of the shame that keeps women trapped. So the more you're talking about it, people are afraid it'll normalize it, but what it does is it just takes the shame away and it gives them freedom to be able to talk about it. So obviously just starting the conversation about it is important. If you're looking for resources or somewhere to send them or what to do, um, Sexual Sanity for Women is put out by Harvest USA. The author is Ellen Dykus, um, and that is a great workbook that's set up for small groups. And I would just encourage churches to find a woman in your church. She does not have to have experience with pornography. <laughs> like, that mm-hmm. is not necessary for running a women's ministry for this. Find a woman in your church who has a heart to minister to other women and just work on setting up a, a small group that can work through a book like this. Or there's a couple groups that are going through my book, actually, and they're working through my book over the summer just as, as groups in churches. Um, and there's more resources that are slowly coming out as more women are stepping up and sharing their stories mm-hmm. and writing. I'm actually reviewing a resource right now that's seeming to be pretty fantastic. Um, it's actually published by a company over in the United Kingdom, but it just, it, there's more. And so if you look for it and you're willing to start the conversation and you're willing to step out. It might seem scary because no one's talking about this, but if you're willing to be a pioneer and start that conversation, there are resources now that you can find to be able to follow through with those women and to be able to help them to find freedom and to find victory from that. Great. And Jessica, on that note, why don't you close with sharing uh, your website and your book resource and how people can get a a copy of that? Certainly. My website is beggarsdaughter.com and beggars is B-E-G-G-A-R-S. And then my book is actually the same name, Beggar's Daughter, and it's available on Amazon. Well, thanks so much, Jessica, for being with us today. Uh, It's a real pleasure to get to talk to you, and I'm sure this is going to be incredibly helpful to our listeners. Uh, And bless you and your ministry. Keep keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. And listeners, we're glad that you were with us here, and we look forward to having you back here again next week on the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.